So this is as they're just about to go into the land that God has led them to after all these years. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so you may know that I am with you, as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on, stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Well, why doesn't God make himself clearer? This is a question that's often raised by those who are sceptical of Christianity. They say, well, if God is really real, if he's really up there, why doesn't he make it more obvious? Why doesn't he write it in the cloud, say, hey guys, it's God, I'm really up here? If he, if he just did that, well, then I would believe. But it seems like he's hiding. Why doesn't God just reveal himself to us more clearly? And in many ways, it's a fair question, isn't it? In fact, it's not just a question uh, that's raised by those who are sceptical of Christianity. It's a question that Christians can wrestle with as well. Yes, I do believe God is real, But man, I wish he did reveal himself a bit more clearly, that he just made it more obvious. It'd be so much easier if I could just see a miracle or or some clear sign right in front of me. Then maybe my doubts would go away. How can I know that God is real? How can I know that he's with me? Well, today we're continuing in our series in the Bible, uh, looking at at the Bible and these talks from the book of Joshua. At a time where God's people were asking similar questions. Joshua is a book that follows the history of God's people, Israel, at a time when they were about to enter the promised land in about 1400 BC. Moses, their strong leader who had led them for so many years, had just died. And now Joshua had taken over. This was the new guy. We weren't quite so sure about him. We've got many things coming in front of us. We don't know what it's going to be like. 
So there was great uncertainty that was facing God's people at this time. They had a great task before them to enter the promised land, which would involve many battles, setbacks and hardships. And many of them may have been wondering, how can we know that God is with us? How can we be sure that he's real and that he'll be alongside us as we go through these difficult times ahead? If only God would make himself clearer so that we could know for sure. And as it turns out, that's exactly what God did. If you've got a handout or Bible in front of you, uh, have a look with me. Um, And if you do have um, a Bible there, even better, we're going to be looking at not just Joshua 3 today, but also Joshua chapter 4. Um, Joshua 4 is not printed in your handouts, but either if you've got a Bible in front of you so that we can see it in context, or if not, I'll have the verses up on the screen as well. Uh, But let's have a look at Joshua 3, uh, verses 1 to 4. It says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you'll, be no, then you'll know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Uh, so here we see that the Israelites had set up camp Uh, on one side of the Jordan River, where they were getting ready to cross over. They didn't yet know the way to go. Now, it's helpful to have a bit of context for this. Uh, So there on the map, uh, you can see the area in green up there uh, is the Promised Land, the land of Canaan. Uh, And its eastern boundary, its boundary on the right, uh, is the Jordan River. And it's running from the Sea of Galilee up there down into the Dead Sea. That was its border on the right. Now, when the Israelites had left Egypt, which is like way down here, uh, under the leadership of Moses, they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and eventually they came out from the desert, passed, they didn't enter at Kadesh Barnea, they came around Edom, around Moab, and then they came up through here, and they camped on one side of the Jordan, getting ready to cross. And here they are. After all this wandering in the desert, here they are at the moment of decision. They're about to cross the river, but how can they be sure that God is going to be with them? They're about to cross the Rubicon, or the Jordan River in this case, and there's going to be serious conflict on the other side. And of course, God knows how his people are feeling. And so to reassure them and help them know that he's with them, he's about to do something special. Have a look in your Bibles with me. The very next verse, verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things for you. Now, I'm not told what these amazing things are, but the suspense is building, isn't it? God's about to do something special. And check out verses 7 to 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, So that they may know that I, God, am with you, Joshua, as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So we're still not told what's going to happen, are we? Uh, But notice that whatever God's about to do, one of its purposes is so that the Israelites will know that God is with Joshua just as he was with Moses. It's so that God's people would know that Joshua 
is God's appointed servant to lead them, to save them, to bring them into the promised land. But it's not just so that they would know that God is with Joshua. It's also so that they would know that God was with them. Have a look in your Bibles with me where we see this from verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites. See, the ark of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Okay, so uh, how will they know that the living God is with them and is going to be with them in the struggles ahead? Well, God's going to perform a miraculous sign to show them. And that sign, verse 13, is that as the priests step into the river, the waters are going to stop. That's the sign. And that's no small feat. Uh, Verse 15, if you can see there in the passage in front of you, tells us the Jordan River was in full flood at this time. This wasn't a little stream. It was a raging river. But the key thing to notice here is the purpose of the miracle. God doesn't do miracles just as kind of neat party tricks like, hey guys, check it out. Here's this cool thing I can do. No, God's miracles always have a purpose. And in this case, God tells us explicitly, it's so that they'll know that he's with Joshua, their appointed leader to save. And so that they'll know that he is with them as they move into the promised land. So let's see how this pans out. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verses 14 to 17. It says, So when the people broke at camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they were carrying this big metal box, this golden box on their shoulders, they went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge... The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that's the Dead Sea that we saw on the map before, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over, over the river, opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, it's one thing to read it, but try to imagine what it would be like to be one of those priests who is at the very front, carrying this big, heavy golden box on your shoulder. You're wearing these big, heavy priestly robes. You've spent your whole life, you've grown up in the desert, so you're probably not very good at swimming. And you've got this river in front of you that is raging, this torrent. Imagine what it would feel like to walk towards the riverbank, to feel the sand underneath your feet. And as you take steps, your feet sinking more and more. It's wet. And then you you do it. You take a step into the water. And the moment you do that, the water stops, the water recedes. Imagine seeing that in front of your own eyes. It would be insane. You'd have goosebumps. It would be crazy. I wish we could have that kind of thing today, right? 
Imagine how surreal it would be. And they stand there now in this dry riverbed while the whole of the people of Israel cross over right in front of them. Everyone gets to see it with their own eyes. Now, if the Israelites were a bit unsure and wanted to be of a bit of reassuring, if they wanted to know that God is with them as they headed into Canaan, this would probably do it, wouldn't it? It would be amazing. You'd think, wow, God is really with us. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we read about things like this, it can feel a bit unfair. Like, man, I would have loved to have seen that. I'd love to see God do that today. Like, why don't we do all the churches get together? We'll, We'll go down to the Swan River and God can just do that. And kind of every six months, We'll do this thing where we, all the Christians of Perth, cross over the the river and then we'll all know. There'll be no doubts. Wouldn't that be so much easier? Then not just Christians of Perth, but everyone would know that God is real. We can think, sure, it's easy for them back then to believe. But what about us? I mean, they were constantly getting miracles in the Bible, Bible times, it can sometimes feel like. But it's interesting. When you actually read the Old Testament carefully... I don't think that's actually the case at all. Yes, there were some moments like this one in Israel's history where God performed a big, dramatic, uh, miraculous sign. But in reality, these were the exception rather than the norm for God's people. In fact, even in this passage today, we see strong hints that your average Israelite in biblical times was not seeing miracles like this all the time. Because yes, at this pivotal moment in the nation's history, when they're crossing the river, all the Israelites got to see this miracle, to know that God is with them. But here's the question. How do you think the next generation of Israelites would know that God is with them? The guys who weren't yet born. What about the next generation after that? And the next generation after that? How would they know? Would they they too get lots of miracles every six months? Three months or 12 months? Well, keep that question in your mind as we read on and let's see. Have a look in your Bibles with me uh, from the next verse, chapter 4, verse 1. It says this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, And carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. From verse 4, so Joshua called together the 12 men he'd appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the uh, tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial of the people of Israel forever. Okay, let's come back to our question before. Uh, How would future generations of Israelites know that God is with them? Would they get a steady drip feed of miracles as well? No, they get... rocks (laughs) a pile of smooth stones it's not quite as exciting is it if you're going to go back get a time machine and go back in history and think "Hmm, when should i go back in israel's history and you got to choose this point 
or 80 years from then, which do you want to go back and see? Do you want to go see the rocks? Or do you want to go see the river actually stopping? It's a no-brainer, right? And yet, this was God's pattern for his people. The Israelites set up these stones as a monument, as a testament to what happened. That were set up by eyewitnesses, by people who actually saw it. And notice that he specifically says one person from each tribe. So no matter what tribe of Israel you're from, you will know one of, your, one of those descendants going way back saw it for themselves. So that you could trust the eyewitnesses who came before you. And you would ask, you would see these stones and ask, and you would be told by those who had come before you what God had done for his people, his mighty acts in the past. And they would tell them, years ago, God performed this, this awesome miracle, the Jordan River. God stopped it. So what this shows us is that the average Israelite in biblical times was not seeing miracles left, right, and center. Yes, God performed this miracle that was great, public, and visible at a pivotal time and moment in Israel's history. But this wasn't the norm. It was something that the future generations would have to be told about. So when you look at what's actually going on, when you, when you read more closely, what happened then wasn't, isn't actually so different to how things are today for God's people. Think about the pattern that we see here in Joshua 3 and 4. This is a pivotal moment in salvation history, in, in God's dealings with his people to save them, to bring them to the promised land. And to mark this pivotal moment and to show that he's with them, God gives miraculous signs that are public and visible. And we saw that God did this not only to show that he's with them in a general way, but also to specifically show that he's working through Joshua, his designated servant to save and lead his people. And then instead of promising that that steady drip feed of miracles, God wants to use his people. He wants to involve us in the process. And so he tells them, tell the next generations what you've seen. And to remind them of what he'd done, he didn't just leave them to rely on uh, people telling other people. He gave them a testament, a monument set up by eyewitnesses as a reminder. And this is actually a very similar pattern to what we see play out for us today as God's people. For those of us here today who are followers of Jesus. Because 1400 years after Joshua, there was another pivotal moment, far more pivotal than this actually, in God's salvation history, in his dealings with his people to save our world. Uh, At a pivotal moment, around 2,000 years ago, the arrival of the Messiah, the King, Jesus, came onto the scene. And to mark that pivotal moment, God gave many miraculous signs that were public and visible so that people could know that in Jesus, God is with us. In fact, uh, you may recall, if you've heard this before, that Jesus was actually called Emmanuel, uh, which literally means God with us. And and God gave all these signs. Uh, Think about Jesus healing the sick, driving out demons, turning water to wine. And of course, the greatest of these signs was when Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared to many eyewitnesses. These are public and visible And again, God doesn't just do this in a general way to show that uh, he's with us, but specifically to point us to his chosen person to save, Jesus. It's helpful to know that the name uh, Joshua in Hebrew is uh, Yeshua. So whenever you see a Joshua in our Old Testament there, the Hebrew behind that is Yeshua. When you translate that into Greek in the New Testament, that becomes Jesus. 
And then, for whatever reason, when you then translate Jesus back into English, we get Jesus. So really, Jesus and Joshua, it's the same name. And what the name means is Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. So Jesus is the new Joshua, the new, uh, the true and better servant that God has chosen to save his people. Uh, and then we see as well, Jesus tells people to go out and share the gospel. But, so there's some similarities there, but what about this fifth point? There's no uh, stone monument that you can go and see today. You can't go to Israel and go, oh, here, you know, here's the one that Jesus set up these stones. We don't have something like that. But it's interesting to think of what we actually do have. Because we have a testament by eyewitnesses in the four Gospels, the biographies of Jesus. These were set up by eyewitnesses that remind us and point us back to what happened of God's mighty acts through Jesus. And you know, it's funny, sometimes you hear people say that we can't trust the Gospels and we can't trust the Bible because it's been hopelessly corrupted over time. It's been translated dozens of times over centuries and centuries, just like that name, you know, Joshua, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus. Who knows what other things we've missed along the the line, right? And it's this long process of Chinese whispers and and every generation we've just gotten further and further away from the truth. You, You often hear that, but in reality, it's simply a myth. The simple historical reality, just the facts is that we still have physical copies of the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament that date back to as early as the 2nd century AD, written in the original ancient Greek. Those physical manuscripts are still around in libraries today, and they're still readable once you've learned ancient Greek. If there are any uh, classic students in here, I'm sure they've already been trying to do so. I can see Ben squinting. And so our New Testaments today, if you've got a Bible in front of you, These are translated directly from the Greek, not through 10 different languages, straight into English based on the earliest and most reliable manuscripts which we've got, which still exist and can still be checked and verified. So, you know, it's funny. Sometimes we can think that God made himself clear in the Old Testament. They had it so easy back then. It would be easy to believe back then. But the ancient Israelites, what did they have to remind them of God's mighty acts through Joshua? A smooth pile of rocks, which doesn't tell you all that much. It's not all that descriptive, is it? But we, we've got detailed detailed written accounts based on eyewitness testimony that tell us all about God's mighty acts through Jesus. And on top of that, even if you think about the miracle itself, yes, God's miracle through Joshua stopping the river showed that he's powerful, but it doesn't tell you a lot about who God is or what he's like, does it? What can you infer about God's character from the fact that he's able to stop a river from flowing. That he's powerful. But think about Jesus. Jesus is is God made flesh. In John 14, Jesus said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That is a far clearer revelation of who God is that we can have today. So what what does this all mean for us today then? Well, let me suggest two things. Firstly, if you've ever wished that God would make himself clearer, I can totally resonate with that feeling. I've, I've wondered the same thing. I've wished the same thing myself sometimes. But if you ever wished that God would make himself clearer, it's worth asking 
Have you been looking in the right places? Where have you been looking for God to make himself clear? Have you been looking for God to reveal himself clearly through miraculous signs? Through maybe a flash of light or or a healing or something like that? Well, it's worth asking, what made you think that that would be the best place to know God clearly? Maybe that's actually not a good place to know God. You see, God has revealed himself extremely clearly in the person of Jesus. Not just that he's powerful, but his character and what he's like. I mean, think about this. Imagine you did see a miracle. And some of you may have a flash of light or healing or something like that. Imagine you did. How much does that actually tell you about God? How do you know it's the Christian God that sent the flash of light? How do you know there isn't some natural explanation for it? And you were just staying up way too late and had one too many Red Bulls. How would you know? How could you be sure? Even if God did perform a miracle, it wouldn't be a very clear revelation of who he is. And you know, it's fascinating. Jesus, all those miracles that Jesus performed, so many people were awed by the miracles and yet didn't come to him to put their trust in him and didn't come to him to know God. No impressive miracle, no matter how big it is, can reveal God to us as clearly as if we listen to what Jesus actually has to say to us about how, who he is and who God is. So if you've ever wished that God would reveal himself more clearly, look to Jesus. Look to the Gospels. Investigate. Read one of them for yourselves. Uh, if your ancient Greek is a little rusty, uh, you can pick up one of these for free. Uh, a copy of uh, the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus, which is an excellent uh, English translation of the Gospel of Mark. So you can see for yourself. You know, uh, just two weeks ago, I met a guy on campus uh, who was an atheist for years uh, during his time at university. He'd studied here, he studied software engineering, and he thought, uh, Christianity is just so stupid. Um, it's just so dumb. You know, it's so anti-intellectual, all this kind of stuff. Uh, then he graduated, he was out in the work, workforce, um, and then he started to ask them big questions. He started to think, man, there's a lot of questions that my atheistic worldview doesn't actually have good answers for. Meaning, purpose, morality, it's just got no answers. And then so one day after listening to a bit of uh, Jordan Peterson, he decided that he was going to read the Bible for himself. So he read the Bible in three days. It's a big book if you ever tried to read the whole thing. It's a fair effort, isn't it? And as he came to the Gospels, he was just blown away by Jesus. He was especially amazed at Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount and also the claims that Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, believes in me, will never die, will have eternal life. He was just blown away by this stuff. He wondered if it could really be true, so he started to look into the historical evidence about whether the Gospels could be trusted, whether the resurrection happened. And based on his own reading and research, he decided, yeah, this Jesus guy is legit. And so he put his trust in him and started following him. That was about six months ago. He did a full 180 simply because he decided to pick up one of the Gospels and actually read it for himself. To not just believe what he'd heard from others about Christianity, but to investigate Jesus for himself. 
It's awesome. Uh, Jeremy and I were together there where we met him. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool story. You should ask us more about it. Um, but that's the power of the Gospels. I've, I've got to share this bit. It's pretty crazy. He became a Christian about six months ago. Um, then he uh, you know, found some good Bible teachers online, like John Piper, John MacArthur, Vody Bork, and some other guys who are, who are preaching the Gospel, preaching the Bible, which is great. After a few months of being a Christian, he's like, man, um, I've just got to, I've got to tell more people about Jesus. They've got to hear about this Jesus that I've discovered. Um, and so he took a, a week of leave from work so that he could go downtown and start telling strangers about Jesus. Uh, keep in mind, he's a, a software engineer, total introvert. So he's like, this is not me. He did that for a day and a half, eventually found himself on campus, found people were way more open, uh, which is something that I found to be the case as well. Um, but after like couple of hours of talking to people he just felt exhausted being an introvert so he's like oh god just please lead me i need some rest i need uh, please lead me some christians so i can just have some uh, some common sharing with them some, some people on the same page and he looks over and he sees two guys uh, sitting on a table with the bible open and jeremy's wearing his christian union shirt <laughs> and he walks up and says hey are you guys christians and that's how we met him and heard about his story so friends god's word is powerful So if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, maybe consider taking the Gospel of Mark, inviting one of your friends to read it with you. Maybe just ask them, hey, have you ever actually investigated for yourself? Because often people have just rejected Christianity based on what they've heard from others. And you'll be amazed how many of our friends who we ask, hey, do you want to catch up over lunch and read one of the Gospels? A lot of people actually say yes. If you're here today uh, and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just curious or sceptical or investigating, it's so awesome that you're here. And if you'd like one of these Gospels for free, I'd love to give you one. Come chat to me afterwards and we could have a look at it together or you could look at it on your own. So that's one big uh, implication for us today. Um, God has made himself clear. So let's look in the right place. Let's look to Jesus. Uh, But a second big implication, and that's that this one is especially for us here today who are already Christians, who are already followers of Jesus. That is that we need to play our part in telling the next generations about the mighty acts of God in Jesus. Uh, Check out what Joshua says at the very end of Joshua chapter 4. This is reading from, from verse 21. It says, Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their parents, uh, What do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And then get this. He did this so that. So here's the purpose. Another purpose. Another reason that he's doing it. So that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you, Israelites, God's people might always fear the Lord your God. So what does this show us? Yes, early we saw that God did it so that God's people would know that he was with them and that Joshua was the chosen servant to lead and save. But also God did it so that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. But here's the question. I mean, how would all the peoples of the earth find out? They weren't there. How would the peoples of the earth find out about this miracle when only the Israelites were there to see it? Well, obviously, the Israelites would need to spread the word. They had a job to do so that all peoples of the earth might know 
that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And the same is true for us today. If we are followers of Jesus, we've got to spread the word too. We've got a job to do, to tell others about the mighty acts of God in Jesus. So many people just don't know. They've never heard. Even today, in a country like Australia, so many people at university have never heard the claims that Jesus makes about himself. They just think he's a good moral teacher or something. They've never heard about his death on the cross and and what it does in, in, in bridging the gap between God and humanity, saving us from our sins, his rising from the dead that conquers sin and death. They've never heard. And you know, if you're a Christian here today, think for a moment about the person or people uh, who helped you to know Jesus. There's probably a whole bunch of people, but maybe just think of one person who, who's played a big role in your life helping you to know Jesus. Picture that person. Now, if you think about it, they too had someone who helped them to know Jesus, didn't they? And that person too had someone before them who helped them to know Jesus. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but if you keep going back, there's an unbroken chain of people telling other people about Jesus that goes all the way back from you and me here 2,000 years ago to the first eyewitnesses of Jesus. An unbroken chain of people telling other people that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Look what he's done in Jesus. Because year after year, generation after generation, people kept telling others. And so the question for us today is, will we play our part? Will we, as the baton is passed to us, will we pass it to others? Will we play our part in that long unbroken chain, that long unbroken web, if you think about it, so that all the peoples of the earth might know what God has done in Jesus? You know, there are so many practical ways that you could be doing this. Uh, Consider being involved, and maybe a lot of you already are, consider being involved with your church's kids' ministry or youth group which is an awesome way to be telling the next generation about what Jesus has done, helping them live for him. I consider coming along to Equip that Ben's told us about, where you can get trained and grow in your confidence in telling others about Jesus. Or you could ask a mate from uni if they want to catch up over lunch and read one of the Gospels with you, maybe using Uncover Mark. Play your part in telling others about God's mighty acts in Jesus so that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful because God has revealed himself so clearly in Jesus and we want as many people as possible to know about it. So let me lead us in praying for God's help in that great mission that he's given us. Almighty Father, we thank you that you haven't remained hidden, hiding behind the clouds, but that you have stepped into the messy reality of human existence, becoming a human being like us in the person of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, so that in him we could see and know you. Father, help us to play our part in pointing others to Jesus. We pray that others might come to know the the amazing things that Jesus has done for us in his death and resurrection. Our Lord, we are weak. 
Lord, we often feel like we don't have much confidence. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us boldness and love so that we might be your instruments, not to point other people to ourselves, but simply to point others to Jesus. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen. Well, uh, that's it for public meeting today. It's great to have you guys with us. Uh, we're going to be hanging out afterwards if you want to join us, uh, just chatting about um, yeah, what we've seen from God's word. And then if you don't have class at two, a whole bunch of us will be heading over to the ref to have lunch. You're more than welcome to join us. We'll see you next week.